করে আমরা কিন্তু প্রত্যেকটা হাসপাতালে প্রত্যেকটা বাড়িতে সেগুলো তো বলা হয়েছিল আপনারা সেফটিটা ঠিকমতো রাখবেন সেফটিটা ঠিকমতো রাখুন কিন্তু সেই সেফটিটাও ঠিকমতো রাখা হয়নি Two different tragedies in the space of a week. Today, 20 lives lost in a fire in a crowded market in Kolkata. Last week, almost the same number of people died in blasts in Hyderabad. The issue today remains the same, fixing accountability and apathy of government agencies. It's not only about the number of people who died today, but also the lives destroyed of those left behind. And Kolkata this morning, this evening, a fire has broken out at another crowded market, but this time in Delhi, in Delhi's popular Sadar Bazaar. There are no news of any casualty yet, but just look at those pictures again. A fire blazing, 20 fire tenders have been rushed here against a very crowded market complex. It would be increasingly difficult for fire tenders to actually get in and do the job. It would be interesting to see how many fire safety regulations have been violated here as well. That's going to be our special focus at 9 o'clock tonight. But let's just look at what the other big stories are this evening. Also on the show tonight, the countdown to this year's general budget, the UPA's last budget before elections. So the twin challenges for Mr. Chidambaram of keeping votes in mind, plus the big worry of avoiding downgrading of India's ratings by keeping the fiscal deficit in place. The economic survey table today said the worst is over and has an ambitious estimate of GDP growth at 6.1 to 6.7%. The big question, will the budget tomorrow be an austere one or a populist one? First, let's look at the main headlines tonight. The government announced a joint parliamentary committee to look into corruption charges in the VVIP chopper deal. Most of the opposition says it won't take part. A heated exchange between Defence Minister Antony and Arun Jaitley. Mr. Antony says I thought of resigning but will not run away. The name and the identity of the bribe taker has to be revealed. It is only an investigation, interrogation, arrest, letterogatory through a coercive criminal process which can find out the name of the bribe taker. You can put us on another diversion and say, ask members of parliament to find out the name of a bribe taker. At least my suspicion will be further strengthened that you don't want to know the name of the bribe taker. I was also a lawyer, but I stopped this 45 years ago. There is one flaw in your argument. Government of India is not doing it. To respect your sentiment, we are accepting JPC also. Varun Gandhi is acquitted by an Uttar Pradesh court on charges of making a hate speech in his last election campaign. This after not one of 52 witnesses implicated him. Varun Gandhi says the verdict proves his commitment to a strong and united India. Key Kong, a UPA ally, the DMK, joined the opposition in attacking the government on its stand regarding alleged war crimes by Sri Lanka. The DMK asked the UPA government to decide whether it wants to be friends with them or the Sri Lanka government. The young man, Vismay Shah, son of a prominent eye surgeon in Ahmedabad, surrenders to the police. Two days after the BMW he was driving ran into a motorbike, killing the two young men on it. First, Vismay Shah and his family had claimed that his driver was behind the wheel of the BMW. But after eyewitness accounts and his chilling CCTV footage of the BMW hitting the bike, it was clear the family was lying.
And in Italy, as it's still not clear who will form the government, Italy's borrowing costs rise sharply. Europe's stock markets are also hit. This after uh, the, uh, Pierre, Ber- uh, Pierre Baroni's uh, uh, coalition gets a majority in the lower house, but not in the Senate. The kingmaker is now a stand-up comedian. But let's go back to our top story, and that, of course, is the focus on that tragic fire in a Kolkata market this morning in which 20 people have died. Monidipa, it's over to you for more. Well, the scene over here at the Shurjo Sen market, very close to Shialda station, you know, now the whole market seems to be have seems to have turned into a skeletal structure. There are people inside who are pulling out the debris, trying to clean up the act. At least 200 small and medium-sized outfits, shops, have been burnt to cinders on the ground floor and on the mezzanine floor. And of course, 20 people are dead. 20 families shattered. With me, some locals here to answer the main question that has emerged, and that is, was the market an illegal market, something that the Fire and Disaster Management Minister, Mr. Javed Khan, has been insisting upon since this morning. With me, Mr. Amit, Amit Bhai, aap batayen, ki is market mein security, fire safety kaisa tha? Aap to yaan pe aate te. No, no, security jo, ab, jo hum log jante hai, जो यहाँ पर जो जो मार्केट था आए मानिकतला मार्केट लैंस डाउन मार्केट और इंटरली मार्केट वो तो ज्यादा इलाके के लिए स्टेट का मार्केट ओनली खूब छोटा एरिया में इसलिए हम लोग सोचते हैं जो इतना फायर ये नहीं लग सकता हम हमारा मालूम है हमारा व्यक्तिगत तो मत है कुछ कुछ तो बाली जो जो मान प्रिकोशन था हमने देखा है लेकिन वो उस टाइम में जब यहाँ पर पास्टो गेट है ओनली टू गेट्स ओपन किया है आदर्श नहीं किया है आदर्श खुल सकता तो कोई आदमी नहीं मर सकता डिजास्टर We've been here since the morning. The scenes unfolding before us, shocking, traumatic, and here is a look at what happened from 3:50 in the morning at Shujasen Market. Smoke billowing out from Shujasen Market. Smoke and fire that killed at least 20 people in Kolkata this morning. Shopkeepers, laborers, and a beggar woman who had sought shelter inside on a chilly night. Among those dead, Gopal Pal, whose wife fell unconscious when she heard the news. Pal, like most of the others dead, lived far from Kolkata. Like the other victims, he would simply go to sleep inside the market in the middle of shops that sold fish, vegetables, rice, and inflammable materials like plastic. सुबह में ऐसे कोई डीएसएम राजमंड का आदमी नहीं था इसलिए तो इसकी वजह से तो और और भी लोग मारा गए हैं यहाँ पे So really, really sorry picture emerging over here uh, about what happened early in the morning. Eight minutes sir, early in the morning, the fire brigade apparently came late. Apparently they came without gas cutters, without gas masks, and therefore rescue was seriously hampered and delayed. But the minister for disaster management points his fingers elsewhere. It is an illegal, unauthorized market. Uh, it has come up during the regime of uh, left front last 34 years 
the opposition is not amused. Well, for the Trinamool Congress, the original sin always goes back to the CPIM. We need a judicial inquiry on this issue. Mamta Banerjee surveyed the site of the disaster and sat for hours in front of the morgue to oversee the whole business of bodies being handed over to relatives. Anything to minimize the trauma of the bereaved. A committee will probe the fire and report back to Mamta in three days. But this is not the first committee to be set up after a disaster. It is also unlikely to be the last. In Kolkata, with Biswajit Das and Nirmal Sarkar, Monidipa Banerji, NDTV. Monidipa, I can imagine, as you said, what a traumatic story that is actually to cover. And the points you made that the people who were actually sleeping there, they were poor shopkeepers, presumably many of them the main bread earners of their families. You said even a beggar who had taken shelter there at the night. So the state is not just about these 20 lives, but what's going to happen to these families. The chief minister, unusually for a chief minister, is actually supervising operations at the morgue as well. But can she promise real change in what you've reported are 8 lakh such buildings in Kolkata, issues like the fire engines arriving without basic uh, safety equipment and open wires hanging not just in this but buildings around Kolkata? Absolutely, you know, there are so many obvious fire traps here in Kolkata that, you know, what really bothered me today was the minister, disaster management minister, saying there are 8 lakh buildings in Kolkata we cannot look after and look into fire safety for all. Well, those 8 lakh buildings, out of those, there must be maybe a lakh, which are marketplaces, just like Shujasen Market over here. Why can't the government do something about ensuring fire safety in those markets? You know, it's a simple question. There has to be political will. That's what all the people on the ground are telling me, that if there was a fire security issue in this building, then why was it allowed to operate? To that, nobody has an answer. Right. Mata Banerjee tried. She said she did not want to, you know, take away livelihoods, uh, but at the cost of lives. Mm -hmm. That's the big question. Mamta Banerjee offering compensation to all the families of those dead. But, you know, the loss of life is something that is completely irreplaceable. Monidipa, uh, thanks for that. And uh, the, that uh, one aspect, however, is true that often people after tragedy will say that, look, close on the markets, but how to actually tackle it when the markets are opened? Will people leave their shops? Will people leave buildings which are uh, categorized as fire hazards? And literally, in what's happened in Kolkata, mirroring that in Delhi's Southern Bazaar, luckily no news of anyone trapped. But look at these pictures here. There could be a, a replica of the pictures we saw in Kolkata. This is a fire in a crowded market of Delhi in Sadar Bazaar. Again, pictures of firemen there battling many of the same circumstances, crowded, congested lanes. It's very likely that that building may not have had all the fire uh, safety equipment in place. Ketki Angre joins me for more on the phone line. Ketki, tell us about this again. Sadar Bazaar, has, uh, there have been many, many fires here in the past. Well, that's right. In fact, uh, right now also they're trying to bring the fire completely under control. It's not as bad as the initial few visuals that we uh, saw had come in. Right now, what they're trying to do effectively is that, uh, fortunately, they're saying there's no one else 
who sat inside uh, i also spoke to the head of the gandhi market association he said that around 720 now uh, they heard so few sparks flying which is why a lot of them just ran out of their shops now this is an area which is completely congested also a number of shops in this uh, small lane called matke wali gali it has a variety and a mixture of shops as it were not all of them are plastic but it's a mix of plastic Uh, you know uh, hosiery uh, so there's a very different and mixed setup of shops here which is also the reason why they're not really sure how many people uh, in fact uh, were in at, the, at that time but at the moment they're saying that they're trying to bring things under control the fire fighting department of course uh, many are saying came here in time the police also came in here in time that of course was a big help and uh-huh. that's one of the reasons they're saying right now that they hopefully will try and bring the fire under control even as they're hoping no one else is trapped inside so yeah right ketki uh, thanks for that uh, important update there that no one so far uh, we know is trapped inside and that the fire is being brought under control but it could have been much much worse Moving to our other top story this evening, and that's of course uh, Budget Eve in the Economic Survey table today with Raghuram Rajan, the Chief Economic Advisor, saying that uh, things are disappointing, but there are better days ahead. Ahead of the budget, the Economic Survey painting a slightly optimistic view of the economy, saying the downturn is more or less over, and that the economy is. looking up as far as the growth forecast for next year is concerned the economic survey says that we will grow from the 5% levels this fiscal to well over 6% pegging it at a wide range of between 6.1 to 6.7% we are batting on a sticky wicket but the sun reflecting our own strong underlying potential will dry the pitch out But the chief economic advisor admits a lot more needs to be done. The slowdown has been a wake-up call to increase the pace of reforms, warning that food inflation will remain a concern. He talks of the need to slash subsidies and do much more to create jobs. It is very important that and Fiki has maintained this steadily over the last year that projects which are stuck need to be resolved because they are a drain on the sector appears it doesn't really generate any degree of confidence that this government is bent upon moving towards a more sustainable more inclusive higher growth trajectory so all eyes clearly now on finance minister peter dambram and the budget the tough task ahead of him trimming expenses increasing revenues and bringing the fiscal house in order will he be able to do that at a time when you have your eye on elections and when growth has slowed to the lowest pace that we've seen in a decade he of course will need to widen the tax base to bring in those additional revenues the economic survey also arguing against increasing tax rates instead saying we need to widen the tax base shrinking wasteful subsidies is something again that will have to be done especially in the case of fuel subsidies where we need to move towards aligning them to market rates but most importantly restoring investor confidence that has clearly taken a huge beating in the last few months so we'll have to watch out for what the finance minister finally does will he take care of the needs of voters or those of investors that's something we need to watch out for Well, and to try to crystal ball gaze on the eve of that budget and the reactions of the economic survey, joining me tonight is N.K. Singh, former Revenue Secretary and with the Janata Dal United now. I'm also joined by Nena Lal Kidwai, President of FICCI, Kiran Mazumdar Shaw, Chairperson of Bicon Limited and Professor Jyoti Ghosh of the Jawaharlal Nehru University. Mr. N.K. Singh, so we've heard the Chief Economic Advisor say... India is in a difficult but not impossible situation he admits that we're on a sticky wicket but he says the sun can dry the pitch optimistic there on the eve of a union budget 
which is being looked at really as whether chidonomics will work versus welfare economics? Well, I think that um, um, I agree with the chief economic advisor's analysis. I think that the um, hand of Raghuram Rajan is pretty evident in this uh, economic survey in Chapter 1 and Chapter 2. And I think that he recognizes quite candidly that India is in a difficult spot. Uh, but uh, he also mentions the initiatives which are underway. So mm -hmm. to some extent, it lowers, it lowers the threshold of expectations uh, which we should expect from tomorrow's budget because in the backdrop of all these uncertainties, mm -hmm. a global slowdown, uh, a, 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 a difficult domestic situation, uh, I think that one should have not really euphoric expectations, but I think Chidambaram will deliver on what he has promised to deliver, a responsible budget, mm -hmm. a budget which I think will further initiate the process of economic revival. And I think the contours and outline of that is pretty evident in Chapter 1 and Chapter 2 of the economic survey, which uh, outlines both the macroeconomic strategy mm -hmm. and in terms of the policy prognosis which lies ahead of us. Kidwai, uh, you said that you agree with the economic advisor and you said there are green shoots on the horizon. So cautiously optimistic there. You say they can be seen, but uh, they could be seen, but let's see what actually happens tomorrow. What are your expectations of this budget? Because so far what's interesting politically is that Mr. Chidambaram seems to have had have the full backing of the Prime Minister, despite facing some opposition from ministers who say, look, don't cut budgets on issues of like defense, on uh, welfare spending, etc. Do you think Mr. Chidambaram is the one man who has the guts to push this through in a way? I think, Sonia, the good thing is that the containment of the FISC uh, was, in fact, uh, high on the agenda almost three to four months ago. Mm -hmm. Measures taken there have yielded results uh, in that you saw the way the stock markets rallied when the first moves happened on removing of uh, the oil subsidy. So directionally, it's already through a process of trial demonstrated that that is the right way and that is what has caused the return of optimism. It's a little bit of reform here and there on FDI and so on. Mm -hmm. But the real big movers are the attempt by the government to rein in the FISC and to begin to also look at inflation with a view to bringing interest rates down. I think what I take heart from the economic survey mm -hmm. is that growth is central in that survey. The talk of return of in, e economic and manufacturing growth, jobs, uh, tells me that whether it's the service sector or the manufacturing sector, uh, there are no risks going to be taken with anything that tampers uh, the growth sentiment. And to the extent that there are some green shoots, and they're very, very tiny little ones that need nurturing, it uh, would surprise me if there were any measures that came in that hurt that mm -hmm. and this very, very nascent new optimism and sentiment that has come into the stock markets as well. We need buoyant stock markets for the disinvestment calendar this year. Mm -hmm. And the government has a large disinvestment calendar. And tinkering at the margin with anything which hurts that, and I think uh, putting taxes back on, whether for the wealthy or others, would be that tinkering because it would not yield much money. But what it would do is to hurt sentiment and in the long run hurt us as a country as we go to disinvest in markets that don't reflect the sort of mood and optimism as we're seeing today. 
So it's going to be important to maintain that buoyancy. Yes. And the finance minister has shown how he feels it is important. His mm -hmm. roadshows went down extremely well. Mm -hmm. And we have to now carry forward that agenda. Uh, but it's a tough balancing act. Professor Jayate Khosh, let me bring you in on that. The focus on growth. And I think this point has been made uh, by people uh, like Professor Martya Sen as well, that often the Indian version of growth is often looked at through a corporate perspective. Where do we look at growth through a perspective of, say, the Aam Aadmi, often touted as the UPA's election slogan, but do we often, do you think the version of growth that is discussed often mm -hmm. is a lopsided one? Yes, absolutely. I think, in fact, even so far in this program, the discussion has been essentially about the private corporate sector. And we really haven't looked at what the economy is delivering to most of the citizens. If you look at the concerns of the citizens today, it's employment, it's inflation, and we really have to see what is the budget or what is the economic policy delivering in terms of these two things. So the and economic thing is stressed on the both jobs and example, inflation. That something that has been... Well, you know, this is what I find so bizarre. Mm -hmm. Here you're saying you're concerned about inflation, and then you go ahead and raise the prices of the universal intermediate. And then you're very surprised when six months down the line you're going to get higher inflation again. I mean, surely you have to recognize that these are cost push elements that you need to control in a period when there is essentially a stagflation going on. Secondly, we have experienced two decades nearly of relatively rapid income growth without adequate formal employment generation, without adequate decent work growth. So we really have to focus on ensuring the livelihoods of those who are still in agriculture and small activities, and we have to ensure the growth of formal employment. And uh, the government's investment has a huge role to play in this. So trying to cut fiscal deficits by cutting down on essential investment or on the essential delivery of public services is, I think, a huge mistake. Kiran Mazumdar, uh, come in on that point. Uh, we're looking at this from a slightly one-sided perspective, as Professor Jyoti Ghosh's point. Agreeing that the uh, government talks about uh, increasing jobs, and uh, that's a key point of the economic survey, talks about cutting down inflation, but when it comes to actually doing it, and especially with the FM indicating that expenditure is going to be cut on many uh, government welfare programs, how do we actually ensure a basic standard of living uh, for citizens of India as well? Well, you know, I think we have a, a big challenge. I mean, I know that, uh, you know, this whole econo you know, inclusive economic agenda is very suboptimal at the moment. It hasn't worked the way we want it to. We are not creating real jobs. We are not able to take uh, jobs from... A subsistence farming to real jobs in industry. I think NREGA has failed. I really don't believe that that's the way to go about job creation. I think we have failed to uh, really invest in our infrastructure development, which would also create jobs, largely because we haven't really uh, looked at land reforms and labor reforms uh, in, a, in a very urgent way. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think we really have to address all this if we really want to get into this uh, whole area of uh, social spending. Uh, you know, right now I'm very concerned that the kind of uh, fertilizer and oil, oil subsidies that we're looking at uh, are going to be very, very uh, challenging for us because there seems to be a, a view that, uh, you know, these subsidies uh, n may have to be deferred. Mm -hmm. So you're basically just sort of tinkering on with the kind of financialing, financial engineering aspect. But uh, let's look at the real issues. We need, uh, you know, investment uh, coming in. The cost of capital is becoming very expensive. We need FDI. We need foreign investment. 
but you know in terms of our business competitiveness we are not an attractive investment hub yes. uh, in terms of uh, investment so so what are what are the measures we are going to take to you know make all this happen i for one clearly i'm fully supportive of right to education right to healthcare how are we going to implement food security mm -hmm. our agricultural productivity is at an all time low we are doing nothing to enable uh, you know uh, technology being uh, leveraged because of the manufacturing reforms yes. aspect a slowdown in manufacturing and services as well mr nk singh come in here as a, with your political hat as well given the vision or the expectations from mr chidambaram given the fact that this is a budget which the, uh, the upa's last budget before elections uh, probably how far can the fm actually go montek singh alwalia said on a program uh, with uh, pranoy a short while ago that the government is committed to actually eliminating fuel subsidy in the next 18 months and he indicated that that money could perhaps be used in other subsidies like food or in the upa's ambitious right to food bill how far can this government actually go is this going to be a budget for votes or a budget for growth i think it will have to be both uh, can it be both because i it will, i think that to some extent this balancing act is where i think the the skills of any finance minister particularly the skills of mr um, chidambaram will be tested but let me make uh, one or two very, uh, uh, points very clear first i think sonia there is no getting away from the fact that i agree with jayati that uh, growth in itself is inadequate to guarantee better uh, life quality to an average indian particularly in terms of rural india yet whereas growth may not be a sufficient mm -hmm. but it is certainly a necessary condition for being able to carry forward any any agenda which will improve life quality second i think let's get to the basic unless could i just come in here I'm just going to let I'm just uh, going to let Mr Singh second, finish and come back to you, Professor Ghosh. I'm just going to come to you right after that. Go ahead, Mr Singh. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. So, so, yeah. Second, I think that let's get basic. That unless the current account deficit and the fiscal deficit is brought to reasonable limits, I'm not a fiscal fetishist in any way in terms of my economic predilections. But I do believe that this kind of fiscal deficit and the quality of fiscal deficit also matters is really unsustainable. India. is in the imminent danger of being uh, going to a junk status downgraded by credit rating agencies mm -hmm. which will make the enticing of foreign investment even more difficult and i think that therefore the agenda which the contours of which are evident in the economic survey and action has already begun i mean Mon mr montek singh alwalia's articulation on the fuel subsidy is one example uh in terms of not only cutting down on levels of subsidy but better targeting of subsidies as the aadhar begins to gather greater momentum and i think that as we begin to redeem a commitment which the former finance minister who is now the current president mr pranam mukherjee had made of capping subsidy at 2% unless yes. that is realized uh, that is something but i agree that job creation that's the third point is necessary and that really requires getting us away mm -hmm. from a delusionary mindset that the growth of services sector would be adequate the manufacturing sector is in dumps we need to do something more credible than in merely announce a manufacturing policy mm -hmm. the number of manufacturing hubs which you have promised have yet to yes. come up we need to change the entire regulatory environment in terms of the manufacturing sector so, and these manufacturing hubs 
based on vocational training and skill inculcation to take off. So it's a difficult agenda, but okay. it's a doable agenda. And I share the cautious optimism of some of the other panelists here. Uh, Professor Gosha, uh, to just bring you in there to, uh, to also to react to what some of Mr. N.K. Singh said, but just that point on the whole growth linkage to uh, poverty, because uh, one thing also says in the economic survey is that how in the last uh, two decades that the poverty, it, they said both in the number of poor people in absolute figures and according to the Tendulkar Committee that poverty has actually fallen in India. So there is a linkage with uh, the g high growth rate of uh, previous decades and with the fall of poverty. Is that something you don't agree with? No, let me, I'd like to make three points here. First yes. about growth. You know, once again, every time we talk about growth, we're only talking about private corporate sector growth and private corporate investment. We forget that the majority of the producers in this country, even outside agriculture, are actually small scale and small or mi micro enterprises. And we're not doing anything to improve the conditions of viability of these enterprises, whether in terms of access to credit or infrastructure or inputs or anything. Productivity improvement will really come about if you can improve the productivity of the bottom. It's all fine to talk about frontline technologies, but we are looking at a huge range of production in India that desperately needs to be encouraged mm -hmm. because that is where the bulk of our people are employed. We don't seem to pay any attention. We think of the private sector only as the big corporates, but most of our private sector are small and medium enterprises. And we really have to focus so on that. So when, when, when Nenala we talk about growth, when and that also will generate more employment. Could I just go on? Could I yes, just go on? And, and please okay. allow me to finish this. The second point has to do with food. And, you know, this idea that it's all really about subsidy and it's only about, you know, oh, it's nice to feed all these poor, hungry people, but that's all a subsidy and we have to cap a subsidy is absolutely ridiculous because what we are looking at is a country that is performing one of the worst in the world in terms of nutrition, despite this period of very rapid growth. Mm -hmm. In any other country, this would be seen as a food emergency. And when we talk about income poverty, we're leaving out the fact that, in fact, around half of our population are well below the FAO's minimum nutrition guidelines. Mm -hmm. So we really have to address the problem of food security directly. Now, to see this in terms of a budgetary cost is completely misplaced because this is something that directly impacts also on productivity, on health, and on the entire... It's not a question of the government being a maibab, being generous to the people. It's a question of the economic security and the future of the country. So not to spend on something like this is absolutely ridiculous. The third point on the fiscal deficit, I completely agree. I do think it's unsustainable, particularly the revenue deficit. The capital expenditure is actually very, very low relative to what it should be. The revenue deficit is way below. But one way of dealing with that is actually to improve tax revenues. And one very critical feature of this is that we're not giving adequate attention to a better mobilization of tax revenues even with existing rates. So you don't the Kelkar committee said reduce the rates and get rid of exemptions. We didn't. We reduced the rates. We kept most of these exemptions, including corporate exemptions. So one proposal which, which apparently has been junked now of a... Actually a well below the nominal rate. One proposal which is apparently being junked now according to sources of a, of a tax on the super rich uh, like France did or even perhaps of an estate, uh, an inheritance tax in a sense. Do you think that these are taxes that are essential? We've got many people writing in saying uh, why not? Why not tax the super rich more rather than overburdening these, the poor? These Do are you? absolutely essential. We must we must tax the super rich. We must have a capital gains tax. Every sensible country in the world has them. These are absolutely wealth tax, inheritance tax. These are such obvious things to do. 
You can't have the, oh no, uh, some of the richest people in the world subsisting in a country with such abysmal indicators of human development. It Nen makes absolutely no sense. There's no justification. Nena Lal Kidwai, uh, if you could come in on that point, because there, there is within the political establishment and even within the party establishment, the Congress and the government, two views really on this. Go, uh, go ahead and respond to what Professor Ghosh said. Well, I think what's critical for us to look at is, uh, and Professor Ghosh is right, we have to make sure that people at the bottom of the pyramid are catered to in every way. And the big failure in our system is not what we set aside to help and aid those that need this, whether it's food or indeed power or fuel or, you know, th there's a shortage of everything in terms of the way we deliver it. And it is execution and delivery of that. And I'm glad that there is focus now, whether it's the cash transfer schemes through Aadhaar or whatever, to make sure that the money which is set aside gets to where it has to go. And that to us is the critical challenge. But I think there's an interesting solution that is going to present itself. As you know, the new companies bill is going to require companies to spend up to 2% of their profits in CSR. And what this in a way is saying is, look, we at government have not been able to do what needs to happen. Uh, if, and we have to therefore make sure that corporates are profitable. Uh, if our corporates remain profitable at a good level, the 2% spend will be effective because corporates will use the money well and will engage with their supply chain. So to Jethi's point on let's make sure that the SME sectors, etc., all of which are private sector, mm -hmm. uh, get engaged in the supply chains of these companies. Uh, there is there also the solution that the public sector companies, which uh, have a fair amount of cash that they have not spent, is used to do effective investment. And they too, of course, are part of this whole CSR spend. So I think what we will get is better execution all around government itself, doing what it should have done ages ago, in that it has a more effective mechanism, hopefully through Aadhaar and the bank transfer schemes, but, but also by engaging the private Sonia, sector in delivery. The tax issue, the, ta the point that uh, Jyoti Khosh made, that there does seem yeah. there is growing disparity between the rich and poor in India, and why? Why not support yeah. taxing the, su uh, the super rich uh, yeah. as uh, was considered earlier? You know, I, I think it, in theory, it, you know, it sounds okay. The problem is that when we've gone to ha have uh, the inheritance tax in the past, we collected nothing. And my worry is that by tinkering at the margin, because that's what it will be, it, it, it looks good, it plays to the gallery, it's populist, uh, and, you know, so you can't uh, dispute that it should be there. But in bringing in taxes, do we spoil the mood that the stock markets are reflecting, which are very important for us as we go on to a program of disinvestment for the country? And the disinvestment is when the crown jewels are sold in small blocks into the stock market. And so we want stock markets to be buoyant, to be high. Yeah. We do uh, not yes, want to do any tinkering at the margin, which will collect very little revenue. And what it will destroy in potential stock market sentiment will actually hurt us far more. No, but let me just uh, say, because of course we know disinvestment yeah. targets also were much below target uh, uh, last know, year. But 50% of direct taxes is already coming from the top income bracket. So it's not at the margin. So you're saying actually tax no, that more, but let me just you know, No, no, my, my, what I'm talking about at the margin is when you yeah. increase the rate, how much are you going to increase in order to collect something that makes a difference to the revenues of the country? So it will look good, 
but in terms of how much you will collect it will destroy more in sentiment than it will give in terms of revenue i would see it more as a political move than a rational move in terms of helping with the country's collection in fact i think it was sujit bhalla study which highlighted that I, actually tax compliance I at the top is far better than tax compliance at the bottom let me just get in let me just move, get uh, kiran mazumdar show in here because kiran mazumdar show will be focusing on the growth word what we're not focusing on is the other g word which is governance and the point is there is clearly an issue with governance if both uh, we've seen that there's an issue really as a uh, jethi ghosh talking about a food emergency the high levels of malnutrition and from corporates as well where they've been talking about the lack of implementation of policies the uh, virtual paralysis in policies some months ago which had led to so much uh, foreign capital also leaving india is governance the key issue that needs to be addressed it can't be addressed in a budget but that's really what both corporate india and the rest of india in a sense want to see with this uh, with the remaining months of the upa government Absolutely I think everyone uh, cannot uh, debate on this uh, fact that governance is the underlying issue you know I completely agree with Naina I mean it's basically about execution it's about delivery it's about making sure that uh, what should reach the bottom of the pyramid reaches there and we know that most of it doesn't it 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 gets frittered away and I think that's what the real issue is and uh, personally i believe that we need to also bring down transactional costs i mean we moved from the license raj to the approval raj mm -hmm. and this has really you know been responsible for this very high level of corruption and this is bringing inefficiencies into the system things are not executed on time and i think this is what we are all now suffering from we are paying a very hefty price so we've just got to get into the governance system where i think e governance is going to be a very important part of bringing down corruption we know that bringing down corruption yes. is itself uh, can uh, you know add 1 or 1 per 1 and 1.5% to gdp in so fact, you know these are very very serious issues in fact as we end the debate tonight a uh, quick uh, quick uh, thoughts from all of you if i ask each of you that if you were fm if you wore that crown of thorns that mr chidambaram is wearing tonight what's the one thing you would ensure would be in that budget tomorrow mr nk singh beginning with you in my view i think that just a very brief comment uh, on what jayati said mm -hmm. i support the view that the tax system in a poor country like india needs to be progressive and not regressive and mm -hmm. i think the jury is out on whether our tax system is really regressive and not sufficiently progressive enough for deep poverty amelioration but one thing that i look for tomorrow's budget is i will look for a preference of growth over austerity mm -hmm. i will look for a balancing of fiscal rectitude with adequate impetus to infrastructure which will rekindle the growth sentiment and begin to entice inward capital flows professor ghosh i would hope for a budget that actually increases tax collections through improving the tax administration and consolidating and imposing taxes on the very rich and uses that money for spending on public investment and social areas nenalal kidwai uh growth growth and growth because unless government's revenues go up and they only go up through good strong corporate performance because that becomes a big revenue generator for government we are not going to have any money to spend on any of the programs that uh, we have discussed on your show today kiran mazumdar show final words with you tonight well absolutely i think uh, i would like to see a budget that is really focused on growth and i really 
uh, would like to see a lot of attention paid to a, a, a deregulation of mm -hmm. a lot of these sectors because I think overregulation is also slowing down growth. Right. Thank you all very much for joining me tonight. Let's see what happens less than 24 hours from now. Thank you very much. Mr. Chidambaram has a tough job ahead, but I think Chidonomics may just win. He's got the full backing of the Prime Minister. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. Moving to the other big story of this evening, and that's about the feud between the gangs of Maharashtra, which is spilling onto the streets of Western Maharashtra. This is between the men of the Nationalist Congress Party of Sharad Pawar and Raj Thakre's MNS, which are clashing apparently after remarks, personal remarks, the NCP says, made by him about Sharad Pawar and Najit Pawar at a recent rally in Western Maharashtra, seen as NCP turf. Then NCP workers pelted Raj Thakre's car, and after that, the situation has gone out of control in many parts of the state. उन्होंने हमारे नेता राज साहब ठाकरे जी की गाड़ी रोकने का प्रयास किया है। ये भूल चुके हैं कि इनको भी महाराष्ट्र में घूमना है। इनके घर तो सारे लोगों के मुंबई में ही हैं। Unabashed intimidation with open threats of violence. Raj Thakre's MNS and Sharad Pawar's NCP clashing across major cities in the state. This after NCP workers, angry with Raj for his speech in Solapur against Sharad and Ajit Pawar, pelted stones, attacking his car in Ahmednagar. They want some publicity to be started. That's why they thrown stone on their own convey. And they want publicity. Never NCP worker do this th things like this. Okay. Uh, Mr. Nawab Malik, who is uh, a spokesperson for uh, NCP has lost his mental balance. NCP is having home department with them. If they are, uh, there's, they feel that there is something in the speech of either our leaders or Rasab, if something is there, let them take legal actions. Why they are coming on the roads? It all began two days ago at a rally in Sulapur where Raj tore into the powers. <laughs> So why did Raj target the NCP's top leaders and why now? Because Western Maharashtra is the NCP's bastion, a region the MNS is hoping to create political space for itself before the 2014 elections. Raj may have rejected Uthav's offer for an alliance, but the Shiv Sena president chose to back his cousin. Political parties behaving more like gangs of Maharashtra, openly threatening, indulging in violence. And the NCP, which holds the home department, is confused as to how they should respond. Scared they could lose out to Raj Thakre in their own bastion, where people are already angry with the government as they are reeling under what's said to be the worst drought since independence. Britain Tia's Jalil and Miloni Bhatt, Tejas Mehta for NDTV. A story we'll be tracking, but some international news. A teenage girl in the Maldives has been ordered to receive a hundred lashes after she confessed to having had premarital sex. 
the girl was already traumatized because this was found out after she it, it was found that the stepfather had raped her for years and she had actually fallen pregnant as well. The sentence has triggered widespread condemnation. The 15-year-old girl has also been ordered to spend eight months under house arrest. During questioning by the police, the, teachers, uh, the teenager said she was repeatedly raped by her stepfather. In fact, she gave birth to the stepfather's baby, which he allegedly killed and buried outside their house. The teenager's stepfather faces up to 25 years in jail if he is convicted of rape and murder of the little baby. But the main issue now, which is becoming a huge international issue, is the sentence of 100 lashes to this 15-year-old teenager. We'll take a quick break now. Lots more news after that, including the Pope's final audience, as he now becomes Pope Emeritus. A quick look at some other stories making news. A Blade Runner Oscar Pistorius was out in bail right now on charges of shooting his girlfriend, then went ahead and held a private memorial service for her, a step which has attracted much controversy. Oscar Pistorius held a private memorial service for his late girlfriend, Reva Steenkamp, who was shot dead at his home in what he claims was an accident. The service took place at the home of Pistorius's uncle Arnold, where the South African Blade Runner has been staying since he was released on bail, awaiting trial. What's more, the 26-year-old track star has also been ordered to hand over his passports, turn in any guns he owns and keep away from his home where the crime took place. And finally, it's goodbye to Pope Benedict who took his final audience this evening at St. Peter's Square at the Vatican. He admitted in his address that he faced choppy waters during his eight years at the helm of the Roman Catholic Church. Amongst the other things he gives up will be the traditional red shoes worn by the Pope. We leave you with these pictures. Thanks for watching. Goodbye.